Welcome back to the Brew Theology Podcast. Tonight, Janelle and I are with Mark and Eric. Eric Peter it was one of the guests at the Denver Brew Theology Gathering last week when we talked about, about centering prayer, and we'll do a little Lexio Divina as well. So before we get into the topic tonight, do we have any announcements, anything that people need to know about, Janelle? Not yet. There could be things. Actually, the Raleigh Durham be. Group yes is launching. It's up and running right now. Woohoo! Go Brian and Bridget. Very excited about that. That's in the Triangle. Evidently, there's like Duke Tar Heel people and no, no Duke Devil Blue Devils in North Carolina Tar Heels. I'm sorry, North Carolina people. And what's the, what's the third part of that Triangle? Raleigh Durham. And what's the third? Is it Chapel Hill? Chapel Hill. There we go. There's the Tar Heels for you. See how much we know about North Carolina. And we go every year. Wow, Goose. <laughs> okay, so uh, if you want to start a chapter, go to brewtheology.org. You can go to the social media channels as well, at brewtheology, Instagram and Facebook, along with brew underscore on Twitter. And share the brew, share the love, go to iTunes, rate it, review it. Even if you don't like any of our episodes, it still does the world a service because then they know that it's out there. They know that people are actually brewing theology in an interfaith, all open and affirming kind of way, as long as you're not a jerk. So, we do have conversational guidelines. No soapboxes allowed. Nobody gets the last word. Respect all others and their viewpoints. Extend courtesy by listening well. And everything is up for discussion. So, uh, tonight, Eric will be our special guest, and then we'll probably just all start talking about prayer and how we fall asleep in the middle of it and how it makes us better people at the end of the day and how we failed at it. So, that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> You've heard Mark. He was on Gnosticism. He was our guest there. You've heard Janelle and I are in our stories. Eric, what we like to do is we like to ask people, like, what is your spiritual background label? And then what would you say you are today? If somebody could give you a label or if you give yourself one, and then a good icebreaker question would be, like, what's your favorite, what's your favorite beverage of choice outside of water? Well, it's really nice to be here uh, talking about beer and <laughs> drinking beer. And such a profound subject, really. They don't always go to go very well together, but you guys have seemed to make it work. So um, my favorite beverage of choice outside of water would probably be after a hot day, take a big glass of ice and put a Coors Light over it with a salted rim and a lime. And that's like a pretty good way to end a day. So, well, after being a farmer, you know, I'm a farmer. So at the end of the day, you're tired and you're hot. So I got to tell my dad this because my dad is a cattleman and he loves Coors Light. Sorry, Dad, yeah. I outed you out there. But he's never done the ice thing with the salt. Oh, yeah. And a lime? And a lime. Yeah. Okay. Change your world. I might have to try this. <laughs> <laughs> Could you drink a Coors Light? I'll, I'll drink anything as long as it's FDA approved. <laughs> I think Coors Light right. seems to be. <laughs> I just, I don't know. Like, your palate is pretty, pretty well tuned. But if you're out, like you were saying, you're farming. Like, so I know it's like my dad, a cattleman in Texas, after yeah. a long day, it's 100 degrees. Oh, yeah. Humidity's at 60%. Mm -hmm. It's 2 p.m. And you're like, I need something, right? Because yeah, you can't work out there until 5 p.m. Otherwise, you literally will die. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. <laughs> I got a watermelon on hand all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, are you a, a farmer like five days a week, seven days a week? Yeah, yeah. For, you know, 40 hours a week or so. Usually more, but yeah, I'm a beekeeper. Okay. And I'm a farmer. I'm out of Parker, Colorado. And um, that's my that's how I get my bread and butter. I'm also a yoga instructor. I work for Comeback Yoga, 
we have uh, classes all through the Denver area. So I go into veteran facilities and teach yoga. Nice. And, uh, and then I'm on staff at the Center for Contemplative Living. Which we'll talk a little bit more about in a second. For sure. So you had mentioned yoga. I got I to gotta share this with you guys right now. So today I saw this article pop up, and it's called Rage Yoga. Have y'all seen this? Oh, wow. It involves swearing and booze breaks. So it's, it's somebody who is trained in the yoga world but could never really fully get it because you know, they're they bored, and they're like, oh, this is just – which is probably someone like I would say like myself who I've done it, and I appreciate it, and I respect it. But then after a while, I'm like, oh, I, I can't – I got to do something active. And so – but <laughs> this instructor allows you to like yell – fuck out loud and then go and, and get a, take a shot or get a beer and then come back. And I mean, I, I don't know if that's helpful, which will be interesting to see the psychology behind that and prayer. If you could do both together, <laughs> or maybe that is a form of prayer. I don't know. Class would have to be like three hours long. Yeah. <laughs> You're downward dog. Okay. Does anybody here have mom issues? <laughs> fuck, you know, <laughs> can you imagine? I want, I actually want to check it out. I mean, I'm curious as a yoga instructor, and I've got my own buddies as a yogi too. And I sent it to him; he didn't respond yet. But is that is that just wild to you? Well, it's a it's a cert, it's certainly a, an interesting uh, way of bringing awareness to what one is really experiencing, and that's really what it's all about: is to be able to ha- be aware enough so that when we have those thoughts and those feelings that say, "Whoa," you know. On, on the back end of all of that rage and to find a path to within the realms of health, be able to integrate it in a way that's transformation, you know, transformational really. Yeah. So what, what is actually the word yoga? I know we're going off on a tangent here and this is okay. <laughs> I'm okay with this. If y'all start are, with the tangent. But is, is that rooted in what, what's the Sanskrit behind that word? And is it, what's the meaning in English? Yoke. It's the, similar root word to yoke so con- connection union oneness or or uh the thing that helps you carry things like a like a yoke on a yeah. cow like yeah or um an obligation almost mm-hmm. like that too so the yoga could mean like there i mean there's yoga like the kind of yoga where you're moving your body but you know there's jnana bhakti like it's it's just a word that encompasses a lot of stuff Sure. All right. Yeah, I, I actually studied yoga in India and or, for like three weeks and studied yana yoga, bhakti yoga, and karma yoga. And so, um, but yeah, that... But not the rage and booze yoga. Oh, no. This was sit around and drink chai. <laughs> <laughs> Watch this be the new branch of yoga in America. Only in America would this yeah, happen. Only in America. And the rest of the world will adopt it. No. We've digressed. That's Sorry. okay. Boy, howdy. <laughs> <laughs> so, Eric, your religious background, how did you identify as a religious spiritual child through your, you know, developing through your teens as a young adult, and then where would you be today? Well, I grew up in the Catholic school system, K through 12, and Northeast Jersey, and then... uh it was really empty. It was just like one of those things that you did because you were in school and you, and sister Martha was going to get you, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> and so I didn't really have a personal relationship with it. It wasn't a very intimate experience whatsoever. And, 
And then I went off into, um, in the Marine Corps. I was a five years in the Marines and ended up getting out. And then I was at university of Colorado. And during that time, I didn't think much about religion at all or spirituality or anything. I was living a great, healthy, healthy life and, uh, playing sports and just kind of having a good old Colorado time. And then, uh, at some point, uh, I started having some symptoms, deep depression, migraine headaches, and it really was quite debilitating. I spent like six months on a couch dealing with some of these symptoms. And I was at a point where I had to either get medicated, seriously medicated or figure it out. And so I started sitting, I started doing TM I started uh, studying and practicing Vipassana, which is a mindfulness style of meditation from the Buddhist tradition. And it was actually in my studies in Buddhism that I started hearing about the Benedictines and the prayer of quiet and the relevance that it had within early Christianity. It was a big part of early Christianity. And so uh, as a old-time Catholic, school kid Catholic, I went, what in the world? I cannot believe I've never heard of this. This is fascinating. My ear stuck right up. What was this in the catechism? That's right. That I mean, I was like, I'd never heard about this because I had some, quite some profound experiences sitting within a Buddhist tradition and started to heal, you know, heal on all levels, you know, just living a healthier, happier life is really what it was, you know. And so to find this in my own tradition, it was a big deal. And when I touched it, it was like putting on a, that coat, that, you know, your favorite coat, or your favorite sweater. And it was like, that's what it was like. And I was like, I'm home. I'm home. So when you first started to sit, one, how, how long did it take for you to become comfortable in your own skin just sitting? And then, cause it, because let's be honest, most Americans can't sit for five seconds without not only their brain swimming, which is a natural thing, your brain's going to swim, but also just being very uncomfortable because we're not trained sure. to do that. And then at what point were you then, did it become spiritual? Like it, it started off, you needed something, you yeah. started sitting. Mm-hmm. So talk about that transition and that the, ti- the timeline and just what was going on psychologically, yeah, emotionally, what? spiritually. Yeah, what I would say is at least what I can see, you know, just being around a lot of folks in the spiritual world, is most people do not come to this path unless they feel like they have to. Like they're hitting rock bottom, they're hitting something up in life, and they can't handle it. And that's what turns people to ask, what's going on here? What I'm doing is obviously not working. (laughs) What is another perspective and a healthy perspective? And how do you, human condition, what is a human condition? And how do you heal the human condition? All right, that's, a, that's not uh, like a philosophical, just a philosophical concept. That's how we relate to life. And life gives us that push on us. And for me, I was just at a point in my, time, my life where I was not healthy not feeling good, way down in a depression. And for me, it was rock bottom, rock bottom enough for me to go start doing this. And I started to see results pretty quickly. But I really cut my teeth 
at a meditation boot camp called Goenka Vipassana course, which is a 10-day course. It's all over the world. You can go and sit for free for 10 days, and you start at 4 a.m., and you end at 9 p.m. Come on. I'm telling you, it is a... Ryan, you couldn't do that. Could you do 4 a.m.? I'd be asleep. (laughs) I don't know. That's dedication. Yeah. That's that's beyond dedication. Yeah, it was kind of, you know, for me, I've been a Marine. I was a... Right. Alaskan fisherman, so I kind of like that intensity, you know. <laughs> you were so a glutton for punishment. I myself in a Goenka 10-day, and uh, for the first four and a half days, I'm telling you, I almost rang the bell <laughs> a few times. <laughs> I really did. Is, that's how you began? That's kind of where I began. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty close to where I really kind of was like... This is, I'm serious about this. I am dedicated to this, and I understand that I have this uh, delusion called the human condition that I've been operating through my whole life. And it's going to take a whole lifetime to work at it to become a responsible, (laughs) kind, patient adult, you know, on this planet. And so I looked at my, honestly, at, how I was living my life and lack of prayer, not no concept of God in my life at all. I mean, that's the loneliest place in the whole wide world, right? And so I think it takes a real sense of perseverance for this path, for sure. It's a, you're changing your whole concept and how you are dealing with reality as reality, right? It's a big deal. Yeah, so it takes it takes that dedication. And, and, I think. and this this is heavy. So, from people who are hitting rock bottom to people who are just wanting to yell less at their children, trying to get them to school. I don't know who that may be, <laughs> but it could be somebody maybe who's listening. To people who are just you know uh, maybe in this place where they haven't felt the presence of God, or somebody who is an atheist who has not sat still for a while or, you know, I mean, so this, this is this, this centering prayer, this process, this is, goes beyond just a basic Christian, be a good prayer person. Cause you're, you know, you're a man of God, right? This, this expands. This is, this is deep. This transcends mm. your typical kind of Christian person. Yeah. This hits everybody. Oh yeah. This hits everybody because, um, there's many paths to truths to, to the, to the truth capital T truth. And so you see this in all of the mystical traditions on the planet is touching this space called truth. Know the truth and the truth shall set you free, right? So in a very practical sense from the person who's struggling, like at the end, we all know them and you're like, what can I do? (laughs) Cause I've been there, right? To just, like, how do I be more patient in traffic? How can I be more grounded when my spouse is upset, obviously? (laughs) And how do you find patience with uh, toilet training, right? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Hey, by the time people are listening, we're going to be no accidents, full on. Sweet. But there is this very 
practical process that happens within the nervous system on one side. And then also with in that healing process of the nervous system, it helps heal that relationship to reality, which is your life, your spouse and your friends and your colleagues. And they're all just mirrors of how we're treating God. And so we have a whole lifetime to mend that. Not in anything that we're doing. It's more of a, what we call in the contemplative prayer world, this consent prayer, this consenting, this process where we let go of all of our concepts and all of our control points and all of our security points and our affection and esteem grasping. And we let go of all of that. And we let this space unfold in a way that heals in all these different levels. Not only like and how I feel in my body, like, you know what? I'm kind of relaxed. And even though that guy's kind of yelling at me, I don't really care, you know? And what, oh, so I'm not reacting to that. I can respond to that. And then what's really going on over there? Now I'm grounded. Now I'm in the mindfulness world they say a healthy mind is curious open allowing and loving and then on the other side when we're operating out of our in reaction out of our false self it's that less than optimal experience within relationship so would you say that the reptilian brain that tends to operate out of fear and just the, the reactionary impulse of so somebody cuts you off in traffic or you and your spouse are having an argument or you're, you know, maybe it's a, a authority figure at work and you want to buck against the system. I mean, that's yep, the reptilian yep, yep. brain, right? Like I want to prove myself. Right. I want to show you that I'm right and you're wrong. And I'm going to, I mean, lord it over you, right? Mm-hmm. If I'm being oppressed, I, right. I want to then oppress. This flips that whole paradigm upside down, the framework, the way your brain operates, the way your spirit operates, sort of tapping into this, this, deeper transcendent truth yes you're nailing it yeah okay. absolutely now i'm curious for for janelle and mark because yeah. i know y'all were at this uh, uh deep ecumenism i believe with yeah. rabbi stephen booth yeah. Nadav, and we talked about the one one river many wells yep. this centering prayer is a is a well that taps into that river are you guys vibing there oh yeah yeah i think it's even as i mean i think it's in some ways part of the river because it's it's something that's found in communion with a lot of these traditions. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, when I went and studied yoga in, in India, I found that my teacher in India, who came from a lineage of Ramana Maharish, and they teach in these inquiries, but he would use the same language, very similar language as to Father Thomas Keating. Mm-hmm. pointing to the same experience. Yeah. You know, that doorway into experiencing it yourself. But same language. It would be, yeah, very similar language. So hitting that well yeah, is, there's only one well, <laughs> and it's the whole thing. And so uh, centering prayer is just a, a, like many other ways of being able to do, is opening the well door, which is inside, which is you. Yeah. And recognizing it. But our attention is so much into the outside world, isn't it? 
Yeah. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard for it not to be. So I mean, the, and this is a meditative practice that we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk about the specifics of how to mm-hmm. get there, and then I'm kind of hoping that maybe later, and I think it's, this can work with the listeners to kind of be guided in that process as well. That'll be kind of fun. So prayer. What is prayer? Two. What is centering prayer? And then maybe we can dive deeper into just how how you go about that process for those who are like, yeah, I want to, I want to tap into that deeper part of myself and the the divinity that's within me and outside of me. And I'm hoping if you're listening that you want that. We'll take prayer as uh, what we call in the contemplative world, prayer as relationship. So prayer as relationship. So that means because we use that little a s that's this indication that this is a dynamic process that's happening. And any time we pray in, any, pray in any form or in any setting, it's a way of just saying, I'd like to have a relationship with God or the universe or with reality or with your, as Anthony DeMello would say, the three pillars of religion or spiritu- spirituality is really now, here, and authenticity. And so prayer is this dedication to this relationship. And Jesus had a pretty unique way of being able to describe this relationship in that he had this very intimate relationship with God. So he called God Abba. Do we know what Abba means? Abba means daddy. So think about that. The God that I grew up with was pretty scary. (laughs) But Jesus is saying that, was reflecting that there's this intimate relationship and we are all invited to this relationship. And all you have to do is literally say yes. And it's totally open to you, the whole thing. And the mind can't grasp it. Because we look at the world and we think it, we think it's scary. All of our relationships and all of the trials and tri- tribulations, uh, we're scared to death, and so we can't become vulnerable, or not can't, but because of these trials and tribulations, it's uh, we close ourselves down and we're not vulnerable to this invitation. And so, prayer, in this pers- from this perspective, is saying. I would like to have a relationship with you. Now, the prayers that I grew up with, which were petitionary prayers and prayers of thanksgiving and going to community center within uh, a church, right? Those are all prayers in a relationship where I'm doing all the talking, right? I'm talking the whole time. Even in discursive prayer, I'm thinking, right? In a healthy relationship, there's two sides of the coin, one side is the talking side, and what's the other side? Listening. Bingo. Yeah, that's exactly right, the listening side. And so the listening side is by far the most important, I think. Important in that, it does, not that it's more important in per se as in this glass is better than that glass, but it certainly offers a, a new dimension and a whole new perspective on the talking side that the talking side cannot show perspective on the on the listening side 
and the listening side is infinite. It's infinite. And it's what that well that Janelle was talking about, that well that everybody has access to at any moment. Right now, we're in the well. If you can see it, let those who have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. That question of prayer came up at our table um, because a lot of the people who were at our table the other night only knew about prayer as saying words out loud. And so there was a, a, a lively debate about whether centering prayer was prayer. And if, when you say prayer as relationship, it makes all kinds of sense, but it's interesting to talk to people who aren't used to thinking about it that way. I just it, They were saying, well, it's meditation. Just call it meditation. <laughs> and I, I think that's an interesting way to look at it. I, I've done uh, insight meditation too, and I... and in the form, they don't seem that different to me, but the intention seems really different. And and that's the part where I think the prayer part comes in. I think that's a really wonderful observation because that, that is the key, is the intention. I went to India, studied yoga, had this teacher, used very similar language, but the intention was very different. Still saying the truth and pointing to the truth but a totally different perspective. And even B. Griffith, who was a very interesting man, who was uh, very important in the contemplative movement, he was a Benedictine monk in Oxford, educated, and went and spent 50 years in an ashram, built an ashram in, in, in um, India. And so he was a very important person within this contemplative movement. But he said that very clearly in saying that it's the Christ, it's the heart of Christ that's life. And that's the emphasis within this prayer. So do you, you claim a Christian label personally? Or does the contemplative um, kind of practice and, I guess, culture, do you not have to be that specific? Well, the wonderful thing about uh, centering prayer movement is that it's been, it's ecumenical. Mm-hmm. Even uh, we do have the Holy Eucharist at the center, but it's totally ecumenical. We have people from all walks of faith that come through it. And so um, as far as la- labels get us into trouble, <laughs> you know, because labels... I'm I'm thinking of a little parable, and the parable comes from uh, Anthony DeMello, and uh, I hope I can get this parable. And if I fumble it, that'll be okay, too. So the master points to the moon, and everybody looks at the hand, and they look at the finger, and they use that finger to gouge your eyes out <laughs> and to point fingers and to do all these things with the finger, but they never look up at the moon. And so these labels can be a real distraction to what is the reality. And so um, I do label myself as a Christian, but I also recognize that this contemplative movement is really recognizing what the truth is and who we really are and put it in its right place. And so I, yeah. I would say that I can play all, you know, I have these labels. I'm a Christian, I'm a Benedictine, I'm a Benedictine oblate, I'm a, you know. Right. But I think it's important to uh, put them in the right place 
and not have that as an emphasis of any particular because it yeah because like you're saying you know this interfaith commonality can get covered up real quick in labels yep and and centering prayer in all of these contemplative movies are all about healing all of these labels that we've put onto reality that's what the practice does you know going back to the rivers and wells it it, it feels like the you know the intentionality of centering prayer is to talk is to be is to look for and to be in relationship with divinity but if you're if you the the place where people sometimes i think get caught up is if they feel really secular or they have a relationship with god that was so bad that they left um and and so hearing that starts to feel like oh it's just the same old thing with a different face but when you described earlier reality or you know there's the ground of all being or there there are lots of different names mystery richard Rohr's uh, book where he's talking about the universal christ is he's really talking about a much bigger thing i just think and where, where you're talking about labels i think they make things small and compartmentalized and if you can let the words live without making them mean a certain thing maybe we could get out of there yeah that's exactly right, because all of our suffering comes from those labels. The whole human condition, the whole human suffering on this planet comes from believing those labels. But I also think some people who have a more conservative Christian background, mm -hmm. because Centering Prayer has some of those labels, in mm -hmm. it, it allows them access to it. Oh, yeah. And they might have a bigger, more ecumenical, mystical experience by doing that. But to get in the door, it needed to have had the stamp label. of a Christian label. It's funny because mm. I think it works both ways. Yeah. I've seen really conservative evangelicals be like, that's just woo-woo. you know. But then right. also people that are starting to kind of widen their view. Oh, well, this does come from a tr Christian tradition, so I guess it's okay for me to try this. Like, it's so funny how it works both ways, definitely. I think, you know, tradition is very important, and community is very important. And so Centering Prayer allows it all to come in. Yep. Including all of, all beliefs are in there, <laughs> really. I mean, it's, it's a totally inclusive prayer. So this is a vulnerable prayer. It's a prayer that, opens up the most intimate spaces of oneself, mm. the divinity, and the divinity they didn't even know existed. So how do we get there? Give me the American how-tos. <laughs> Westerners want always want to know, okay, you're talking about this stuff, guys, but how do you do it? How does this happen? Can you go through the process? Yeah, sure. So contemplative prayer has many different definitions, but... The one that we use, and I'm going to paraphrase this, but contemplative prayer is a pure gift. And so when we say a gift, that means that everybody's got it. You didn't have to earn it. And it's always there, this pure gift. And it's a prayer that goes beyond words, goes beyond thoughts and feelings and emotions. And it's this recognition that God is closer than words closer than breathing, closer than consciousness itself. Imagine that, closer than consciousness itself. That's pretty close. That's intimate. This is the intimacy that Jesus was saying 
hey, you've got it. Mm-hmm. If when you recognize it, you will see it. And so centering prayer is a method so that we can facilitate ourselves to receive these gifts, this gift of contemplative prayer, this union. And so the method is a four-step method. And the, the first is to sit with your feet flat on the floor, with your back straight-ish, but relaxed. Yeah, that's it. That's the first one. Trying to straighten right now. (laughs) I realize, how much do y'all slouch, by the way? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's all right. And then you set your intention. And for us, we, we introduce what we call a sacred word. It can be a sacred breath or a sacred glance, but it's a sacred word that is a symbol of your intention. And the intention of the prayer is to consent to the presence and action of God within. That's it. And so you sit, you introduce your sacred word, and then you completely consent to all thoughts. Because all thoughts come down the stream of consciousness. They all come and they all go. And so you resist no thought, retain no thought, react emotionally to no no thought. And every once in a while, we actually react to a thought. You don't say. It's unbelievable. (laughs) Like, I need a glass of water, please. (laughs) And so you react like you'll you'll be sitting there. And I'm a somewhat, I, I like wine, right? And so if you're hungry, you know. And you're sitting there, and the thought comes down the stream of consciousness, consciousness, and before you know it, you've been hook, line, and sinkered. You're on the boat. You're drinking a shot of pop and uh, eating some duck confit. And so uh, when this happens, you just ever so gently reintro- reintroduce your intention, your sacred word, and continue consenting to the presence and action. It's almost like action. slapping yourself. Gently. Gently. But gently. Yeah. Gently. Right. It's more like this will happen. This will actually happen, right? Have you ever been in conversation with anybody and you know either themselves or yourself? You're just not even there. You're not yeah. even listening. <laughs> right? And you're thinking about what you're going to say. Right? You're not even really listening. And so... This is going to happen in, these, in this process. And when you catch yourself entertaining a thought, you just ever so gently bring your attention back to the main intention by introducing your sacred word. And that's it. That's how you do it. That's the nuts and bolts, Farmer Joe. And how long do you usually have a session of centering prayer? 20 minutes is preferred, okay. you know, or at least starting out. But I would, I, what I would say is that over time, uh, it, you know, it'll turn into 30 minutes, 45 minutes. But also, not only once a day, but two, three times a day. Being able to take 20 minutes, three times a day, recenter, and get back that well, right? Mm-hmm. It's like at the end of the day, you're just cooked, and you can just sit and, re- and recover, and you back into that well. Yeah. Now, you shared what a go-getter you are, though. You've been a Marine. You've been an Alaskan fisherman. How does this, how does this not feel like wasting time to you? 
Or how did you train yourself to accept the importance of doing this? Well, it was really my trip to India that was, for me, a big shift in how I just saw reality and the reality of how I related to my thoughts. Okay. That's the key right there to it all because we believe our thoughts. That's the whole human condition. We believe our thoughts. That's where our suffering suffering comes from. And so there was this, for me, this major shift in being able to see like, oh, I can see how I entertain these thoughts and they're not healthy. <laughs> and how can I heal this relationship with my thoughts and how I relate to reality? Yeah. So time kind of got so a different... Time, perspective. Time, time is lit, when you really look at it. Time is just another thought. Okay. So it's always here. It's always now. It never ever changes. It's always here. It's always now. It never ever changes. So time, when from that perspective, time starts having a whole new meaning. I need time because I need to have like certain projects done, and that's my watch. <laughs> the time is now, and so. Um, my sense of ambition and all of that has changed dramatically over the last okay. c- couple of years, I would say for mm-hmm. sure way more relaxed. And that's, that's what happens is there's this figure ground reversal that happens when you just start doing centering prayer or meditation once, twice, three times a day and you're meditating or sitting or praying in those times. But at some point it flips where everything's the meditation. Everything is prayer. It's not only just the prayers, but it's a disposition of prayer. And then from that perspective, there is no time. That reminds me, Paul talks about praying without ceasing in one of his letters. Which one is that one? Come on, Bible nerds. No, not my Pray without ceasing. People... Read that, and they go, what do you mean? How is that possible? Is that what you're talking about? Absolutely. And there's times for prayer out loud, like, help. <laughs> I need a little help. That is a real prayer. Yeah. I am telling you, and I use it. And there's also prayer like, oh, I cannot believe I did that. I am so sorry. That's another prayer. There's also the prayer of, what do you need? <laughs> You know, real service in life. But then to let all of your agendas go, all your thoughts, all your... Because the mind is... We call it the, you know, the the three pillars of the false self is securing survival, affection and esteem, and power and control. And so to learn how to let all of those thoughts go and all those identities and all of those habits of the mind... And to let all of those go and heal and transform themselves into uh, a more intimate relationship with yourself, for one. And then that's the reflection out in the world is all your relationships. Mm-hmm. It takes time, mm-hmm. right? From but, but no one's tracking the time. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. There, nobody's Except Jesus. Tra- <laughs> <laughs> That's a weird paradigm right there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, having done it sporadically and having done it in a more dedicated way, 
it, it's a huge difference when you say it takes time because it really, especially when you're beginning, you have the time when you're doing it and then it dissipates over the day and then you sort of have to re-come re to it again. And if you don't, then you go back to your old habits and it just sort of fritters. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a constant recommitment. Constantly. Because we're always brand new. Right now is brand new. And then right now is brand, brand new. And it always requires a recommitment because there's going to be times when we trip down and times are on top of the mountain because that's life and it's coming. And it always takes us recommitment over and over and over and over again. In fact, and, and that's one actually one of the perspectives that we look in Centering Prayer and why we are so dedicated is this idea that it's a discipline. And that means that we are disciples of Christ. We're following that path, the way of Christ. And that takes a real dedication. So is that the goal? Is the goal to become a disciple of I'm not, I'm not going to say Jesus, I'm going to say Christ. So first century, you would be a disciple of Jesus. Let's go to the, the universal Christ, Mark, because you brought it up earlier. Great. The, yeah. the, the Christ, the, which is beyond, is, well, I don't want to say it's beyond. Jesus, Jesus is the Christ, but yet Christ is something that w was there before, before Jesus, is there after Jesus, okay? Yeah. Are we a disciple of Christ? Is this, is this, what is it? What does that goal look like? I mean, what is that? What does that mean in one's day to day life? Not first century, but 21st, 22nd, 23rd. This podcast will go on to the 24th century. <laughs> well, I would say that it's a disciple of reality, of the truth. Know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Be still and know. Be still and know that I am God. That is a real experience. That's like a, that's like the finger pointing, but everybody gets caught on the finger, right? And so, real pra farmer practical is being able to see reality for what it really is, and be able to see the thoughts that drive us crazy, and all of the thoughts that we suffer from because we believe them, and how that plays into all of our relationships but when you see when you're able to let those thoughts go and let that healing process happen there is just one of the fruits of the spirit is just this mending of relationship and i am telling you i am i've got amazing experiences of this within myself and my family and friends and but that's that's as practice practical as it gets it heals your own relationship to yourself and to life. It doesn't get any more practical than that. One of my favorite Centering Prayer teachers is Cynthia Bourgeau, who talks about that part. Um, she actually says the part of Centering Prayer, if you're, you know, you're an American and you're doing Centering Prayer and the thoughts hook you, and then you do like you were saying, you slap them away, you try to bat them off with your sacred word, and that is not it. <laughs> and, and it's um, that part about returning and returning and returning, which has like kind of a Sufi kind of connotation of just always coming back, back, back. Um, 
feels like a really important part. And I don't how have you looked at her work at all? And oh she's yeah, somebody, yeah. S- you know I I sat front and center when she spoke at the annual conference. I was five feet away and with full attention on what she was saying. That is one smart lady, but she talked extensively about the science, the brain science of the new neural pathways that are being created from that brainstem and the limbic, cent- the limbic center into the neocortex and primarily into the prefrontal lobe. She talked about this. And so there is a very objective science to being able to look at what is actually happening in the brain and then in the nervous system when we practice centering prayer. And so from what I can see from the commonality in these contemplative prayer practices, okay, is that you resist no thought, you retain no thought, and you react emotionally to no thought. And when you do react emotionally to this thought, you remember your original intention, then you come back to your original intention, which to, which is to let the thought go down, go by. And so it happens in this process is there is a new neural network that's being created from the brainstem and the limbic system into the prefrontal lobe. This is when we say, you know, when Johnny ripped up my baseball card, I'm about killed him, right? And now you're like, I don't even remember it. It's no big deal. Mickey Mantle? What if it was a Mickey Mantle baseball card? (laughs) I think what you said, Mark, that was just like a flash for me was kind of referring to it as a Sufi movement. Uh, Because when I was at Parliament of World Religions, we had a woman that was was from that tradition that was dancing for us. And just the constant movement and turning back... Like, I, all of a sudden, I saw that in my head of, like, instead of batting away the thought, drawing it kind of into the dance with you and spinning back to where you're supposed to be. Like, that's a totally different movement than stopping and striking something away, um, but integrating it and kind of loving it and bringing it back to attention. That's really a totally different way of functioning. I and I think that though, like I, it, I almost think of it as not, not, not bringing it back in so much as just letting it go, just <laughs> like get, returning to the dance, return yeah. to the dance. The dance is the thing, and the and the the, the distraction. Stuff, you yeah, let it just not, let it go. Yeah. yeah. I um, was raised in a household of uh, Jungians. <laughs> Carl Jung people. Mm-hmm. And so it's been a little bit of a, a a struggle for me to not engage when the shadow stuff comes up. Like, just let it go. <laughs> like, there's an option. Let, no, I want to like, fix it. Let, let, yeah, that's the, that's the thing. So that's a little hampering that I have in my mm-hmm. practice. I have to keep on working on that. For the tad delay listeners out there, I'm sorry. We're bringing Tad back, by the way. Yes. He's a big youngian as well. You got uh, to come back with Tad's back. Good. In February. Thanks so much for joining us for Centering Prayer Part 1. I hope that you enjoyed it, and we'll see you next time for Centering Prayer Part 2. In the meantime, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Brew Theology, and on Twitter at Brew underscore Theology. Thank you very much, and cheers. Cheers.